Hi, I'm Clarissa. I'm Melanie. And you're listening to True Crime Salt and Lime. How cheesy are we? It's like we have our own voicemail. That was the thing in the 90s. Um, full disclosure, we're super Bye, drunk. Girls. I can hardly read my notes. Mimosa Sunday. Melanie can hardly stay vertical. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are! Yep. Happy Mimosa Sunday for those of you who are listening, maybe on a Sunday. Happy Mimosa any other day of the week for any of you who are listening to any other day of the week. Get yourself a mimosa. Or, or don't. 75, like we had. Or, or don't get yourself a mimosa and just live vicariously through us. That's fine, too. We will drink your mimosas for you. Did you eat that last espresso bean? I did. Damn. I asked you if you wanted you it. Said you, you said you were... said no. And you said you were going to put it away just in case. No, I said I was going to save it for when I did a good job. And I felt like I did a good job in that <laughs> moment. I can't be mad at that logic. Buck up, buttercup. I'm bucked up. I'm bucked as fuck. You're hardly vertical. <laughs> Sit up. <laughs> okay, this is the story of Debbie Hawk. Melanie will tell you how we came upon this story. Yeah, so I have another job where I was talking to someone about us starting this podcast. And turns out that the woman I was talking to, her friend and her are from the town where this crime and murder happened. And kind of lived through the whole trial now her friend is actually a criminal psychologist. Told us <laughs> to look into this story. And I'll make sure to give you like some of her little inserts as the story goes on. But and she remembers, because remember, vertical hard. Horizontally better at the moment. <laughs> anyway, Debbie Hawk. Take it away. Take it away, Debbie Red. Debbie Hawk was born... Don't call me Red. <laughs> okay. Debbie Hawk was born Deborah Triantis in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she spent all of her teenage years in the California Bay Area. In 1988, she had a job selling mattresses that ended up moving her to Hanford, California. Friends in the area set her up on a blind date with a man named David Hawk, who came from a local family of almond growers, which apparently is... A lucrative business. Yeah, super big money. I mean, I've seen the almond milk commercials on TV. It ain't cheap. I also, like, I just think about it as death because I'm super allergic to almonds, so already this guy's not on my good list. But, you know, whatever, it's fine. The two were quickly drawn to each other, and when asked about their first meeting, David said, and I quote, Debbie was a firecracker. She was short and attractive and a lot of fun, had a pretty good sense of humor. You know, you'd say something, and man, she'd pop back up with something that you didn't quite expect. So essentially, he's... Us. Yeah, he's She's well. Us. He's not us. He's describing us. <laughs> We're funny as fuck. So if you didn't like our first podcast, you probably won't like this one. But if you didn't listen to our first one, you should because it's funny too. The two were married just shortly one year after their first date together, which is quite quick. But I mean, quick is relative. Now we live in a society where you can be like terminally engaged. Maybe it's not quick. Was it but quick it, in 1988? I wasn't around. Well, uh, 1988, so I think 1989 is when they got married. 1989, that's three years before we were even born. It seems to be pretty quick. On Can someone top. fill us in? Was that quick or was that normal? Let us know. Moving forward. Debbie really wanted a family. That was like her ultimate goal in life was to be a stay-at-home mom and have a bunch of kids and raise them, which I feel like was pretty typical of the time. She got her wish. She and Dave had three kids together, Conrad, Chelsea, and Savannah. 
they had a great childhood and had a super well-prepared financial future based upon the trust funds that her grandparents, David's parents, actually set up for each one of the children. So they were pretty much set. set. After nine years together, their marriage fell apart and they separated in 1998 when their kids were seven, six, and two respectively. Conrad being the oldest, Savannah being the youngest, so you do the math. The couple finalized their divorce in Y2K. Which turns out is year 2000, in case you're a complete dumbass. Um, like Melanie. <laughs> I'm really fucking pretty, though, so. We had, like, a 15-minute conversation about Y2K. So, yeah, like, now you're getting a little education in your podcast that Y2K means year 2000. It's my fault. Yeah. But you didn't know what Y2K is. Yeah, was. I don't look like a dumbass on my own. I know. So um, many mimosas. So they each led their own lives after 2000 when they divorced, and they only crossed paths or really communicated about the children who split their time with their parents. What? Oh, whoa. That was a mimosa, I'm sorry. <laughs> so if you didn't believe the mimosa story, hopefully you do now. That was gross. That was gross. <laughs> you nasty. <laughs> But anyway, so their paths really only crossed when they were exchanging children. Dave had said that it wasn't easy to be separated and share custody of the kids. But then in June 2006, everything would change. After the kids spent a weekend with Dave, Debbie was supposed to pick the kids up on Tuesday, June 13th. And after she failed to show up, Dave reluctantly drove the kids over to Debbie's house, dropped them off, and went on his way, knowing that Conrad had a spare key he could get into the house with. So he kind of just didn't think anything of it, just, like, dropped them and took off, which... Which is weird. Like, if you've ever been a kid getting dropped off at, like, your parents' house after hanging out with a friend, that parent always makes sure you get in the door. So for Dave to be like... Okay, you're seven, and you've got a key of your own. Well, I mean, catch you point, later. Oh no, point, he was like fourteen. Like she, he was, I think, thirteen. Chelsea was twelve, and I think Savannah was probably like closer to like eight or nine. But still, but still, like you make sure your kids get in the door. You make sure that everybody's safe. You don't just like drop them off, and you're like, okay, bye, sayonara. Wish your mother the best. Bitch. Ta-ta for now. Like <laughs> that's like when has any reasonable parent done that seriously even to this day if someone drops me off at my house if I'm super drunk like today like guaranteed if Clarissa dropped me off at my home she'd like make sure that I at least walked in the front door and wasn't like stabbed the instant I walked in before she drove away okay let's be real realistic here I would walk her into the front door probably because like, I'm falling up the steps probably just like lay her on her bed and then call it a day anyway in 2006 apparently things were different Pete, they, whatever. Dave thought it was fine. He dropped him off and left. Upon entering the house, the kids found that the house looked completely ransacked and there were pools of blood on the floor. Obviously, they were freaked the fuck out. Conrad, who would have been 14. 13 or 14 at the time, called 911 from their home while Chelsea and Savannah, the two girls, ran to their nearest neighbor's house. Twice. What a classy broad. <laughs> I can't help it. It's the mimosa. Uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't belched from the mimosas. I've almost fallen asleep and out of the chair, but I have not belched. I haven't done either of that, so maybe you were just one more mimosa in than me. I passed the burping stage. (laughs) Just went to sloppy. You bypassed the belching, okay? But anyway, around 2 a.m., 
on the 14th, so technically the day after Dave dropped the kids off, Dave is called into the police station for questioning about Debbie's disappearance. Now, nothing really came of that. They just were kind of questioning him. But like at this Because it is like they always look at the spouse or ex-spouse or girlfriend slash boyfriend or whatever. Like they're always like right. someone that's a person of interest. Right. The, the boyfriend did it. The husband did it. Like it's just the first place they're going to go regardless of whether or not he had an alibi. So they questioned him. Nothing came of it. He was released. All is well. On June 15th, so two days after the disappearance, Debbie's work... Mm-mm. What? You right. Keep going. Throwing me off here. Sorry, I thought we were in 2004, but we're not. We've been in 2006, <laughs> so I was like, it's not two days later, it's two days and two fucking years later. No, I'm just drunk as fuck. So, okay. um... Two days later, they found uh, Debbie's work van. Debbie worked as a, like, mobile pharmaceutical rep. They found her work van abandoned 40 miles away from her home. The van had blood on the interior, and the license plates on the van had been replaced with stolen plates. So, obviously, that in and of itself made the police think she was attacked at her home, pulled, incapacitated in some way, put into the van, and then drove driven away. I almost said droven. Droven away. <laughs> drink, drink, drunk. Um, um you go. Um, <laughs> but a few weeks passed after finding the van with no word from Debbie, and the case was changed from just a missing person a missing person's case to a homicide investigation. And Dave Hawk was the only person of interest. So once they changed from a homicide investigation because there was literally no word from Debbie and the amounts of blood they found pooled in both her home and the van made them come up with a person of interest. And the only person that they had that they could even kind of point to was Dave. But it's important to know that like a person of interest and a suspect are two very different things. Very, very different things. Like a person of interest is just someone that the police want to talk to that they think might know anything about the crime or the person that's involved. A suspect is someone they believe had, had a hand to in. do with it. So at this point, Dave is just a person of interest. He's their primary person of interest, but literally just a person and of interest. by primary, they mean only. There are zero other persons yeah. of interest. They just want to talk to him and see the relationship, the relationship between the kids and Debbie, between him and Debbie, between him, Debbie, and the kids, between her family, her friends, whatever and whatnot. They just wanted to get as much information as possible. So the only person they really had to talk to, other than the kids who were minors at the time, was Dave. Which turns out is a fair person of interest because Debbie, when she disappeared, was in the middle of a child support and custody negotiations battle in court with Dave. He was only paying $553 a month for all three children. Which is shockingly low. Yeah, which is nothing. I pay more a month to have one horse. Right, and you're talking three children in In California. California California is not cheap to live anyway. And this is before the recession. So, Dave, you've got no excuses, you cheap motherfucker. Yeah, she is raising three kids on her own (laughs) as a mobile pharmaceutical rep, and he's only paying $553 a month for three... Three kids. What is that divided by each kid? Hold on. Let me get let me get the calculator out because drunk math don't work. Um that's the case. One hundred and 
$84 per child, which is nothing. Mm, I was close. I just had the 100 part right now. You did. Props. Yeah, drunk um, math. Look at me go. Also, figuring out our bill for the mimosas, far more challenging than it was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, I think we just kind of threw cash at each other until the full bill was met. Yeah, which is fine. I think I left um, with more money than I started with or something. Whatever. That's not true. I gave you 70 I got five back. I'm, I'm out $65. That's math. Look at that math. Bravo. Boom. I'm proud. Okay. Anyway, anyway. so (laughs) he was fighting the amount because he claimed that he only made $6,000 a year, which is like actually comical. Like I had a job one time where I didn't have to pay for my house. I have two horses. Both of their board was paid for. So I didn't have any bills aside from like my credit card and my loan, which was like $200 a month. And then like making sure that I could eat and my horses could eat or whatever. And I made like $200 a week, which is like $12,000 a year, which is basically nothing. Like it is living on nothing. And I didn't have to pay rent. I mean, like I was living pretty scot-free and couldn't afford to live making $12,000 a year. So this guy lives in California. He pays $553 a month for his three children. But he rumoredly only pays, or he only gets paid $6,000 a month. So do the math on that. If he's paying $553 a year but only makes $500 a month, how exactly does that Like, work? his child support payments alone are $6,636 a year. So he is automatically going into the year under $636. Right. And that's fine until they go to court. And he's like, no, wait, I only make $6,000 a year. Yeah. Merp, merp, merp. They were also fighting for not only child support... But Dave wanted more custody of the kids. He wanted it to be 50-50. And at this time, it was 65-35 with Debbie getting the 65. So the kids were only with Dave on the weekends. Yeah, they said that the breakdown essentially was like Thursday to Tuesday, like every other weekend is essentially when Dave had him. So it's definitely, it's not every week. It's every other week, and it's not even for a full week. It's five days. And we'll get into it a little more later, but the oldest son hated his dad. Hated him. Like, I mean, we didn't just, like, kind of disagree because we have a lot of hormones and feelings, but, like... like they did not They did along. not get along at all. But anyway, moving forward, like I said, we'll get into that more. In court, Debbie also accused Dave of stealing money from the kids' trust funds. Now, remember, his parents had set up for the kids. And him stealing this money in excess of $100,000 is how he was able to live a more lavish, 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 lavish lifestyle than $6,000 per year. And because $6,000 per year is not lavish. Unless you have literally every single bill covered and you don't have to buy food, you cannot live lavishly on $6K a year. At $6K a year, you're fucking homeless. That's yeah. just it. Like, I mean, maybe if you live in, like, Kansas, you're not. The, I don't know. Is Kansas who, expensive? If you're listening to this and you live in Kansas, tell us how expensive Kansas it is to is live there. not expensive. Okay, you don't live there. Maybe someone who lives there can tell us. The guy who rents a room for me lived there. Mm, that's fair. Perspective. But. Any hoodle. The people who, like, beg for money on fucking 34, the people who pan for money on those streets probably make more than $6,000 a year. That's basically what I'm getting True at. True that. a year is nothing. And Debbie's attorney even mentioned something like that. Dave was driving like a brand new SUV SUV of some kind. And he was like, how does someone that makes $6,000 a year, how can he afford this? Right. Like he like had like the nice Because keep in mind. He had lived in a nicer house in 
California, and paid $553 a month in child support, which, as we know, per year, he's already under $636 a year, and I'm sure a payment on a car like that, unless you buy it outright, which, again, you can't do if you make $6,000 a year, I'm sure your payment on that is at least four to 500 a month. Right. So, so even Dave, there, would you like to explain your difference of roughly $1,100 a month? I'm willing to listen. Wow, wow, wow. We'll get there. Radio okay. Silence. Radio, silence <laughs> Radio. Yeah. Well, Dave's not going to call us right now. He's also not fucking here. So. So <laughs> it's important to note that he had access to the kids' trust funds account. Obviously, if he's able to take a hundred thousand dollars or more out of their accounts, he was basically named as like the person who controlled the trust funds accounts. So, which gave him access to all of the money that his parents put forth for his kids. If that makes sense. So then, during this custody and child support trial his dad got up on the stand and was like yeah I mean the trust fund is there to give the kids a great life so if them having a great life means like Dave needs to buy a new car then that's what it's used for yeah totally took his kids back which I guess I mean what else are you gonna do yeah, I, I, I mean, behind closed doors. Tisk, tisk, Dave, why you take that money? But how did you become this way? Your mother and I raised you to be a far better man. On our almond farm. We're organic as fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, to the court, he's basically said, yeah, that's cool. Like, I don't care how the trust money money is spent as long as it benefits the children in some sort of way. So if Dave took a loan out on the trust fund to buy the kids fucking clothes for their school there wouldn't be an issue but apparently it went as far as oh i don't really like my beat up old buick i'm gonna drive a brand new car to pick them to and pick them up from soccer practice to better their lives that would better their lives and therefore dave had access to their trust fund yeah i don't know doesn't make sense to me I'm not in this family. He's trying to keep his dad or his son out of jail, which is it's fine. whatever. I understand um, that. It was also brought up in their custody hearing that Debbie actually did take out a temporary restraining order against Dave in 1998 when they separated. But it's super unclear as if, as to if the restraining order was due to any sort of physical altercation when they separated or if she was just, like, super fed up with him and decided to get the restraining order. Because it could go either way. Yeah. In a strange, super strange coincidence... Debbie's attorney for this custody hearing was actually shot in the neck outside of his office on May 16th, 2006, one day before he was due in court for the custody hearing for Debbie and Dave. Strange, wouldn't you say? Um, seems oddly coincidental, yes. Yes, I would say so. I mean, granted, I have not been shot in the neck the day before anything big has happened in my life, but I'm not an attorney that deals with things like this. Yes. So... I mean, mate, I, I, again, I guess if you're an attorney and you're listening to this, will you tell us, like, if your life is constantly in jeopardy? Like, I'm curious. Right, over a custody hearing? Like, is that really that big of a job issue? Like, like it's not like do he you was- go into law school and you're like, okay, 50% chance you might get shot in the neck? Outside of your office, the day <laughs> are you you're still doing, like, willing to take this job for the money you'll get? If you think about it, like it's not like Dave was trying to fight for any sort of custody at all. It's not like he had zero connection with the children. He already had thirty-five percent custody. Yeah, very odd. And was sh- this freaking attorney was shot in the neck outside of his freaking office? Yeah. This poor guy. But he actually, positive note, ended up surviving, and he got a call from Debbie a few days later. 
and she actually talked to him about how concerned she was that she was afraid that her husband Dave had something to do with his assault or his attempted murder. I'm sorry, I, like, I've been in some serious shit with people before, and not once have I been like, they're gonna kill me! <laughs> you know, like, that's never been a threat in my mind. So also, like, can you imagine living in a place where, like, that is an immediate thought? Your attorney friend gets shot in the neck, and you're like, oh my god, my husband's a fuck! Right, like, not even your attorney friend. Like, the attorney that's trying to help you get more child support and or more custody of your children gets shot in the neck before you're supposed to, like, be in court to get this, like, resolved. Right. And your first thought is, my fucking husband. My husband, yeah. This this seems logical. Like, my husband seems like the most logical person to go after for this. What is that? Like, clearly she was living in some sort of fear of Dave. If that was her immediate off-the-bat response. Yeah. My husband probably had something to do with this. Yes. Well, of course Dave, when questioned by the police, says he had nothing to do with this attorney's shooting... Pretty much pled the fifth, doesn't know anything, just wanted to get custody of his kids, right. not doesn't pay as much child support. Right, doesn't even know the attorney is, even also, in court all the fucking time. Like, also, circling back, you make 6 k a year. It's interesting to me that you only make 6 k a year, and yet you want more custody of your kids. At what point did holding, like, having your kids with you make them less expensive? Like, you still have to not, feed them yeah. and clothe them and... As a stepmom of somebody who I have 98% of the time, it's much more expensive to have them have custody of them. Yeah. So that whole thing is strange, but I mean, again, it's his kids, so maybe he just wants to spend more time with them regardless of what it might end up costing him. And he already knows his parents are willing to pitch in money for the kids. Obviously, they set up these huge trust funds for them. Yeah. Very so true. maybe he thought, hey, I'll just like take the kids more. And, and I is your only business successful if you're only bringing home 6K a year? Well, I mean, if he's only working for the almond business and the almond business is ultimately owned by his parents and they're paying for his house, his new SUV, his kids' child support. Look, don't argue for this guy, okay? He's a fuck. So. I'm just saying, if you're taking, if you're being devil's advocate, like there's no, ways fair. around fair. it. Like you just said that you were lived somewhere where you didn't have to pay any sort of rent or pay for your horses to board if he's in a situation like that with his own parents and he doesn't have to pay things like this okay his take home his taxable take home might not be more than six thousand dollars all right i feel you i feel you but in the months after debbie's disappearance disappearance um disappearance and essentially her murder investigation peace or peace jesus (laughs) The police were seemingly convinced of Dave. You're stopping. You're fucking with the Google Doc. The police were seemingly convinced of Dave's guilt, despite any sort of evidence that they might have had. The police raided Dave's home at least four times and cuffed him in front of his home, full v- in full view of camera crews. They've described the whole ordeal as some some something of a witch hunt for him. That the law law enforcement officials like didn't have anything on him, but were so convinced that he had something to do with it that they were gonna just get him no matter what. He said, and this is a quote that the an FBI agent said to him that they wouldn't hesitate to fabricate evidence essentially against him because all they needed was a motive, and with an ex husband that was easy. I don't know how true that is. I don't know any sort of FBI agent that would be like, oh, by the way, I could just totally make this shit up and get you for I mean, it. in all fairness, I don't know that I personally know any FBI agents, so I can't agree or disagree. But I can say that because of my dad's job, he's known a lot of guys that were in the FBI, and he's even said, like, it's so easy to tell if someone's in the FBI just by the way they act. 
I didn't ask any details about that because this was years ago before we even thought about this podcast. I think it was probably before podcasts were even a thing. But can you imagine, like, that is someone that works for the federal government being like, yeah, we would totally just, like, right. fabricate just evidence. And, like, that makes so many crimes and so many convicted felons and murderers, like, possibly innocent. Like, if you're willing to admit that you can you fabricate evidence and all you're missing is motive, motive is, motive is the biggest fucking piece. I don't know if you can hear me feel, I'm clapping. <laughs> biggest fucking piece, right? Like, what is the motive behind killing your wife? We don't have any motive. We don't have any evidence. We just know she died and you dropped the kids off and you had this custody hearing. Oddly enough, her attorney died or got shot in the neck, but we don't really have a motive. So we're just going to, like, create this evidence to make you look fucking guilty. Like, I'm sorry. I have a really big issue with that. I, like, love the USA. Like, go Team America. But that is so fucking sketchy. I'm clapping again. So fucking sketchy. Okay, I'm going to play a devil's advocate, which I know you hate. It's not uncommon for police forces to be like, I'm just going to make this up against you if you don't tell me what's going on. It's part of, like, an interrogation tactic. It, that's true. Um, like, I mean, have you seen Making a Murderer? Yes. That shit's all fucking made up. I swear to God. Stephen Avery's innocent. What about Brandon? Come at me. Brandon's also innocent. He's... Dumb. Like, he should not have... Whatever. It's fine. I'm not talking about this. It's not hard for police to intimidate somebody by saying they're going to fabricate something, even if they have no intention of ever actually doing it. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's a really easy way to be like, oh shit, like they're going to like make me out to be guilty anyway, I might as well just confess to the whole fucking thing. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like, fair. That's fair. People can but be coerced into making a false confession. That's you can true. be coerced into either professing your innocence or not. Based upon what police are saying. That's I'm gonna, true. I'm going to make this shit up yeah, against like, you. We so have evidence against you. you, so you might as well just say that you did it. And not only is motive easy to come by with an ex-husband, but it's super easy to come by in this case because they're already in a custody, a custody battle. battle. Where the attorney got shot in the fucking neck. In the neck. The attorney got <laughs> shot lived, in Which means the he's a fucking badass. Yeah. Good for that guy. Anyway, moving forward. David stated that he had an alibi when it came to Debbie's disappearance. Which is not a super solid alibi. Basically, he just said, well, I was either at work or with my kids. Well, I mean, where were you? Were you at work or were you with your kids? Like, what time did you drop your kids off? When do you work? You work at an Alden farm, which your parents own, so you can probably just come and go as you please with your 6K a year. Right. And not only that, but legally, your kids can watch themselves at the age of 13. If you're thinking Conrad's 14 and Chelsea's 13 and they're watching their younger sister, like, at any point, he could have just... I'm going to run to the grocery store. I'll be back. I'm going to go get milk. And then he murders your mom. murder your mom. Um, it's not that he didn't come back after getting the milk. He came back. Maybe You're just milk. not going back to mom. The alibi he had, or he created, was far, 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 far from concrete. And at one point, he's even quoted, like, when the police are, you know, investigating him and interviewing him, and they asked him if he could have gotten someone that's a mur- like paid someone as a murder for hire and he even says yeah I don't know any meaning people that are available for murder for hire and he says I don't even know where to buy marijuana I'm a pretty I'm pretty vanilla when you start looking at me which I think is fucking hilarious like to describe yourself as vanilla also I don't even know where to buy marijuana come on I mean we live in Colorado 
in a in the current day. So like it's super easy to buy marijuana. But in in his defense, like when I was in high school, apparently everyone was getting fucking high, and I had no fucking clue. Like, um, our, like, spirit stick at football games rumored to be just a gigantic-ass pipe. Like, I have no fucking clue. So, I mean, really, like, if you really do live in, like, your own little world. Clarissa and I, we have been friends since sixth grade, and I've ridden horses ever since we've known each other, and on Wednesday nights, we would have to go and go to confirmation at church and I would go to the barn because school would end early and I'd go to the barn at like two in the afternoon and church didn't start till like six. So I'd like four hours at the barn and she would always be like, oh my God, you smell like fucking weed. And I was like, what are you talking about? She didn't like, even know what it I had like. no idea, like such blissful ignorance. And then it's like years down the road. I was like, oh my God, everyone at the barn smokes fucking weed. And she's like, yeah. So, I mean, really, like, I get you, Dave. Like, I get it. Like, you do not know where to buy marijuana. I, but that's the thing. It's like, okay, so also, like, slight tangent. Like, I still don't know. I mean, weed here is legal now. But before it was, like, I still wouldn't know where to buy weed. But I had this boss at one of my jobs that grew up in, like, bumfuck Tennessee. And apparently he knew people to kill because I, like, made a joke one time about needing to hire a hitman. And he was like, oh, I know someone. And, like was totally serious about it. So maybe it is easier to find, to a, find hitman. a hitman than it is to find weed. <laughs> like, I promise you that is not the case. <laughs> I'm fucking crying. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Talk to> me. <laughs> So Shit. we're taking a poll. Is it easier to find a hitman or weed? <laughs> weed. Okay, turns out weed. <laughs> <laughs> poll ended. Fucking weed. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Focus. Circle back. Okay. In late October of 2006, after the weed comment was made, hashtag our tangent 25 minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> it might have only been like four minutes. I'm so drunk. I don't know what go- is going on with time. Not high, just drunk. This is no, there's no weed involved right it now. should be high. Omniway. Omniway. <laughs> In October, late October 2006, the police made a statement that David Hawk would, has now been promoted, if you will, from being a person of interest to their primary suspect in the investigation. At this point, they, the kids, the, the girls, Chelsea and Savannah, stayed with their father during this investigation. However, Conrad... Their son was placed into foster care as soon as the statement was made that he was basically the primary suspect, which... And again, suspect does not mean he was, like, ar- like arrested and put in prison or whatever. Like, they just had enough evidence to make him a suspect or move him from a, sus- from a person of interest to, a, to suspect. a suspect. So, as that happened, that's when Conrad was placed in foster care um, and the, the two girls stayed with their dad, Dave, because he was still there at the time. Right, and... It- Conrad did make statements that his father would make comments about how he was a horrible person, quote, just like his mother, which led him to make the decision that he did not want to stay with his father, putting him ultimately in foster care. Which, I mean, if that's what he wanted to do, more power to you. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to stay with my dad if I had any sort of suspicion that my dad had something to do with my mother's death. Mm -hmm. To each their own. I mean, Conrad was the oldest. He had the ability to make the decision. He made the decision and ended up in foster care. Yeah. Then 
Basically a year and a half later, so May of 2008, Dave was arrested and his trial didn't start until August of 2009. So we are pretty much three years from the time that Dave was made from a person of interest to a a suspect before he went to trial. And his charges were murder for financial gain, which makes sense with the custody battle and the the child support and whatever. Um, willfully failing to file tax returns. Uh, whoops. I mean, um, you <laughs> just, whoopsies. Uh, you just forgot, I guess, for a while. Taxes? Um, what yeah, are the taxes? people that stand on the corners with the signs on April 17th with the tax sign, like, maybe he didn't know how to read taxes. I thought that was a state down south. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Misappropriating property held in trust with taking an excess of $50,000 making false financial statements and perjury. Do you know what perjury is? I feel like yes until you asked me on the spot, and now I feel like I'm just going to say I'm really pretty. It's like basically lying on the stand. Ah, well, then it makes a lot of sense because so like, he probably made more than $6,000 a year when if, he was in his fucking custody. If now. you're on the st- Anyway, he was ultimately found guilty and sentenced to life without the possibility... The possibility... Of parole plus nine years and has to pay restitution to the Triantis family. And all of this happened sans body. There is no body. Which is something that like really intrigued us about this case. So again, like this case was brought to our attention by someone that I met by teaching horse riding lessons. And as she was like, I told her about this podcast we were doing, how it was true crime. How excited we were because yeah. it's fucking badass. Yeah, because cool. it we're cool and funny <laughs> and whatever. She started telling me about this case, and she was like, yeah, we, like, we lived there. It was really heavy. Um, it got really heavy media publicity, but they could never find her body. He got sentenced. He got convicted. He was imprisoned with never having her body. Which is but, not common. I looked yes. it up, and I couldn't find any sort of like specific concrete stats, but ultimately there's only been like a handful of cases that have led to a conviction without a body. Like something like... Under, it's like under a hundred cases in the history of history have led to a conviction without a body. Yes. And so then the other thing is like all these people that live in this area of California are trying, like while this is all happening, they're like where could this body be? Well, apparently what this woman told me is that they were building like this whole new shopping complex with a movie theater and stores and restaurants all while this whole thing was going down. So everyone suspected her body of being buried in the concrete. buried in the concrete. And she even told me that and again like I I don't know how like truly reliable of a source is other than she like lived there at the time and so this obviously was like a conversation going yeah. around. But she even told me like he had access to this at some point which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense considering he's like an almond farmer. Why would an almond farmer be involved in pouring concrete at a hotel I or a mall, I mean. But still interesting. That was part of our inspiration in, like, researching this case. Right. was, like, how crazy would it be if, if everyone's, you know, just shopping, if anyone's shopping, and there's this body hiding under your underwear stand. And I'm you have so no idea. <laughs> um, so anyway, just, like, a very interesting perspective on the case, the – view that locals had on it. Right. So, basically, he was tried, he was convicted. I mean, Conrad's hooting and hollering because he was convinced it was his father the whole time. He even testified in court. For two days. He was 19 at the time. 
He testified for two whole days about his father and like the comments that he would made backhanded or otherwise about how he was just like his mom and his mom would get what she deserved and all of this other crap, which is so suspicious. Yeah. Obviously, he had something to do with it. He had to have something to do with it. But fast forward to eight years later. 2016. So we're talking an entire decade after her murder or her disappearance. Yep. In the first week of March, a farm worker named Juan Castillo found a jawbone and other unidentified bone while laboring in a barley field in Stratford, California. It was really like eating at him that he found these bones. He really didn't think that they were animal bones on the 18th of March. He told his foreman, Jesus Tafoya, about the bones that he found. The two went and investigated the site. They dug up a little bit more. They found the rest of the jawbone and the leg bone, and they knew right away that they weren't animal bones because of the fillings and the molars, which is kind of creepy to think about that. You found a jawbone and there's mold, like the, the molars have feelings. So you know right away that's a human. Yeah. It's a person's body. Like yeah. You don't put fucking feelings in a dog's bones. Yeah. Like. But they continued to keep digging and finally stopped when they found ribs and a hip bone. And obviously called the police. The sheriff at the time, his name was Dave Robinson, and he made an official announcement that the skeletal remains that were found were that of Debbie Hawk. Confirmed by a 100% dental match up to the jawbone. Pretty solid there. Pretty solidified. Ten years afterwards, they found her body. But because the skeleton remains were ten years old when they were recovered, the cause of death was impossible to determine. But her bones were only buried three feet below the surface. Three feet. Like, that's the length of your arm. Three feet. Yeah. Below the surface, and, and it nobody, took and nobody a found decade her. to find her. The remains have been given back to the family. Yes, Dave actually did fight that. He did not think that they deserved to be back in the family. He wanted them to be kept as evidence to essentially later on when technology is his trial to quote prove his innocence in the entire ordeal. So he fought that tooth and nail. The judge gave the remains to Debbie's family, which. Good on him, I think. Let him being the judge, right? Yes. Okay. Let let them have some let sort them of be peace. done. Let them bury her and have some sort of closure. Yeah. Especially totally. for the kids, if no, if for no one else. And let's keep in mind, this is a decade after she died, so her kids are twenty four, twenty three, and eighteen. Yeah, they're adults. Like they're grown up. Yeah. You know, and they've grown up with their dad being in prison. And their mother murdered. murder. And their mom not nowhere to be found. So, so sad for them. The last case we did seemed pretty split on if the person was guilty or not. And, I mean, in this case, there not is so no one fighting for Dave's freedom. Yeah, no, he, I mean, like, he's fighting for his own freedom, obviously. Freedom? Freedom. He had an appeal he wanted to overturn due to, I mean, he really wanted, like, a change of venue and all this other stuff because of how publicized the case was and whatnot. I think they actually did grant him a change of venue. I don't think it was tried in the place where she disappeared. However, with all of the publicity, I mean... I'm sure it got He would have had to have yeah. a change of venue to, like, Europe in order for it to not yeah, at be... At least Colorado, because I had no idea. <sighs> well... I mean, he had an appeal. His appeal was denied. All of his original charges were upheld. He's still serving time, in my opinion, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The really sad case of Debbie Triantis. I'm calling her Triantis and not Hawk because... 
Fuck that guy. Also, funding information on her children, comic relief to end this. We would Google their names, and all their last names are Hawk. We found the son, we found the oldest daughter, and then we put Savannah Hawk into Google, and all we got were pictures of Savannah Hawks. Savannah Hawks, um, the bird. So I don't, I don't even want to say it was a letdown because it was very comical. You know, something like now that we're doing this and learning all about it, it's interesting to see how disassociated the children are from these. Yeah. Very few of them are ever in the media making any statements of any kind. Which is so interesting, Which, especially because, like, in this case, the kids at the time of the trial were adults. Yeah. They're just just interesting. As we do this, we're learning a lot, you know? So, just so an interesting thing So, bear with us if you think know. it sucks, but whatever. Uh, we're funny, though. Funny looking. Alrighty. Well, I uh, think that pretty much sums things up. Yes. We're officially on Apple Podcasts. Hooray! Um, really working on getting on Spotify, but the email won't come through for me to verify my fucking podcast. So if fine. anyway you're listening to this, someone at Spotify, help, 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 help. We do have an email address. It's called, or it's called, it, it is, is true crime salt line pod at gmail.com. Please, please, please email us and tell us your thoughts, your concerns, your questions. Give us suggestions if you want to. We're way more than willing to cover stories that you guys want to hear since our fan base right now is like 30 of you. Uh, 36 downloads, first episode. Woo! Woo! Anything you want us to cover that you either heard from a different podcast that you want different opinions on or a completely weird random story that came from your own hometown, whatever. Um, email us and let us know and we'll deep dive into it maybe yeah. if we have time. And we may or may not be drunk while we do it, so it could be entertaining or uh, not, but we'll let you decide. Yeah, we don't know how this one's going to turn out until I go to edit it and to decide that we're all idiots. Signing off. Fairly well. Pasta. La pasta.